Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey parents, welcome to what we think is going to be a very important and special episode of Wonder of Parenting, a brain science approach to parenting. My name is Tim Wright. I'm here with uh, Dr. Michael Green, as always. Michael, welcome to the show today. Thanks, Tim. Welcome to you. We are uh, going to be talking about a, uh, a topic that has really captured the imagination of our culture right now. We're trying to figure out what it means. And before we dive into that, uh, I want to say again, as we do every week, a special thanks to those of you who are regular listeners. We appreciate the downloads. We appreciate the comments. And want to encourage you. Uh, if you've not subscribed before, to head over to our website, www.wonderofparenting.com. That's wonderofparenting.com. There's some links there where you can subscribe to the podcast. There's a place where you can ask questions. We'd be happy to use your questions as a way to talk about our or to talk about them on our show. And uh, there's some resources there that you can discover as well. Uh, if you are on Instagram, go to Wonder of Parenting Podcast, and you can follow us there and interact with us. Uh, so what we're going to talk about today is raising kids in a gender-fluid world. And um, I uh, am a fan of the books by Rick Riordan. Uh, he's written the Percy Jackson series and, and uh, a number of others using mythologies, and then uh, the kids in his stories sort of become the heroes. And uh, in his Magnum Chase series, he had a very interesting character who was literally gender fluid. Uh, one day he was a he, the next day she was a she, and then the following day he was a he, and then maybe a little later she was a she. And the main character, Magnus Chase, fell in love with him and her. And uh, as I was reading that, I thought, well, first of all, that's not really what gender fluid means. And secondly, uh, even though those books are fantasy, there will be kids who read that and have a come away with a certain perspective on what it means to be gender fluid. And we think it's really important for us to use brain science to talk about this very, very important issue and what it means to raise your children in a world that's talking a lot about gender fluidity today. So, Michael, if you would start, and, and let's really get to the basics here and talk about gender fluidity from a brain science perspective. And I know you're not even a big fan of that word, gender fluidity. You, you prefer something else. So talk about what gender fluidity is in our culture right now, what brain science research says about it. Yeah, so gender fluidity is this uh, concept that who who we are um, from a point of view of male female that 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 really should be set on the shelf of the past that there isn't really male or female that uh, we're all um, we're all it's all fluid and we can feel male masculine one day female feminine another day because uh, we're just a person and. Um, and it grows from the latest iteration of it grows from the transgender movement and um, 
so broadly the LGBTQ movement and then underneath that the recent transgender movement, uh, which is which is trying to help that particular population. Um, as folks may know, around there's constant debate about this. I just saw a new study that said it's actually is 0.3%. So that's going to be one third of 1% of people are, are actual transgender brains. Um, but other people are arguing it's three to 5%. So there's a population that in which the brain, uh, so a female to male, the brain, if you have male anatomy, but your brain, you can scan that brain and it scans more female. And that's a person who's saying, hey, wait a minute, I have male anatomy, but I feel female and vice versa, female anatomy. But hey, wait a minute, I feel male. And you can scan that brain now and you can see, oh, okay, that, that brain is trending more male or masculinized. So that's that population. And to, to help that population, I think we've this gender fluid um, term has erupted. And then, of course, it's LGBTQ because it it, it 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 appears on the surface to help lesbian, gay, bisexual, which is another uh, vulnerable population. So that's kind of broadly what it is. Now, I break it down, as you know, in a different way. Should I get into that? Or yeah, please do. And and why don't we before we say that, let's say the, uh, let's uh, let people uh, be very clear from us that we are not in any way, shape, or form disparaging those who are part of the gender fluid community that it is a real legitimate issue for them uh but what we're talking about is what seems to be the imposition of that uh understanding of of a person on all of culture and it seems to be causing a lot of confusion yeah 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 we have to say both things at once and i've as you know and people can go to greeninstitute.com and see the blogs i've written on this and and so on i mean i i'm i'm supportive of every human being and uh, have am very supportive of trying to get help to vulnerable populations uh, uh, because they are minority populations and they they need our help and they need our support. Um, to your second point, though, the the calling us calling it a gender fluid world, uh, which is what people are doing, uh, especially folks coming right now out of college, coming out of sociology departments and in the academic world, just coming straight out. So they're mainly in their their t- late teens and twenties. Uh, that's where a lot of this is happening, and um, uh, and that's so we got to break it down a different way in order to really understand it. And since this is the Wonder of Parenting podcast, this is about nature, nurture, and culture. So not just about culture, but nature, nurture, and culture. And from the nature view, you 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 can't just simplify all this into um, uh, everyone's gender fluid because in fact, uh, or everyone's non-binary, which is another way it's said, because in fact. The human brain is uh, binary in the sense that it's bi, and it is bi, male and female. And um, when we scan brains, we can see that brains are male and brains are female. So we can see that, and people operate as males and females. Now, there are minority populations that are operating, um, uh, like especially transgender, in this different way, but that's a very, very small number of people. Um, and, and you can still scan those brains and see it on their brains. So male and female exists. And to say it doesn't exist is to create systems that will um, leave behind tens of millions, even billions of people. And we've talked about how this happened when the androgyny movement, which is, which is the equivalent of this 30 years ago, 
uh, 40 years ago, when the androgyny movement came out of colleges, and that's when I was in college and grad school, and so were, so were you, we're the same age. Uh, we were in college and grad school, and this exact same thing was going on. Everyone was androgynous in that, in that time frame, and that was the great academic concept. And so it w- moved through these academic systems, and one system it moved through was education. And um, so, therefore, schools of education didn't teach um, uh, the young teachers, the folks who were going to come out with their um, BAs, BSs, or, you know, MAs, MSs, or get teacher certification. They wouldn't teach them about male and female brain. Uh, and that's that's a systems error because those the schools then got set up, and we've been dealing for decades now with school systems where we have brilliant teachers and brilliant people, but they aren't trained in male and female, and so they lose girls in STEM and they lose boys across the board because boys just give them all sorts of trouble and they don't understand how that brain works. Uh, so that's that's the problem with with taking this this kind of interesting sociological concept and blasting it out into all systems. That's what we can't do. We have to understand that from a sex point of view, sex on the brain, male and female absolutely exists. And there's a broad spectrum of what is male and what is female. Sure, no two people are exactly alike, but you can scan that. So it's gone beyond this kind of sociological stuff. You can scan it. Um, and and I think the other systemic problem with saying everyone is g- gender fluid is, and I'll stop, I'll say it, and then you tell me if you want me to go deeper in, is gender dysphoria or gender, you know, what used to be called gender identity disorder. Um, a lot of the kids who, who at five or eight or nine um, say, look, I think I'm trans, or at 11 or 12, say, I think I'm trans. I'm gender fluid. I'm not male, female. I think I'm trans. Um, they have a lot of difficulty. There's a high depression and suicide rate in that population. And a, a, lo- a lot of them, more than 50%, by the time they're between 15 and 18, have changed their minds. Um, they understand I'm male, I'm female. And this, this gender dysphoria, this is an issue. And it's a clinical issue. And we can't forget it. We can't just suddenly believe that anyone who tells us, hey, I'm male and female don't exist, and I'm not male, and I'm not female, and and yet I'm very depressed, and I'm very anxious right now. We have to go back to the clinical drawing board and say, I wonder if, what's going on with this child. This child may not be, quote unquote, gender fluid or, or trans. This child may have a clinical condition that we have to deal with. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. I think that's really interesting. I was reading a book by uh, Mona Sharon uh, called Sex Matters, and and she was talking about this issue 
in a similar way. So, so let's see if, if part of her argument is, is where you would be. And if not, you, please disagree. But she said part of the challenge right now with assuming that everybody is gender fluid is that we're messing up a lot of kids who are not gender fluid. And could even be, as you just suggested, messing up kids who think they're gender fluid but might not be. And one of the examples she uses is a person with an eating disorder who weighs uh, 100 pounds but believes that she weighs 300 pounds and needs to be on a diet. And are there times when, again, there are times when the brain and anatomy doesn't match. That's the point three zero. Uh, population or whatever you said it was, uh, 0.03. And and are there times, though, when our kids are just confused for a while about who they are, and do we need a little bit of patience when it comes to, um, you know, all the things that are going to come if you do change the sex from male to female or female to male? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that that's, it is changing the sex. If people start, uh, if kids start the, the, you know, hormonal um, changes, which you have to do for a while, and then later they get the sex change, they are, they are at the level of trying to change sex. And so we should be very careful. Um, you're right. She's right. I mean, all of us are saying this, you know, who are really deep in the field, we've got to be very careful because um, there are a lot of clinical conditions that can be going on simultaneously uh, or comorbidly, as we say. There's all these these things going on, and we got to figure out what all of these things are. We got to see if the child is depressed, if the child has gender dysmorphia or, or you know, all gender identity disorder. Uh, we got to we got to see what all these things are and figure them out to try to help this child. And I especially. When I go out and speak and people ask me this question, they say, okay, when, if, but if, what, but if I absolutely know I have a trans child, you know, when to start hormonal therapy? And of course, there's disagreement here, but I would, I would argue, wait as long as possible and certainly try to get as close to puberty as you can, because puberty in itself is going to do a whole bunch of stuff to the brain. And so someone at eight or seven or six who may be saying I'm gender fluid or their equivalent of that at that age, um, once puberty hits, you know, they could, they could go in another direction. And so we got, we got to be careful and wait as long as possible. Um, if, if someone listening to this thinks they have a trans child, find someone who specializes in this, you know, and who, and someone who's not like political ideolo- ideological, you know, someone who, who's actually child psychiatrist or child psychologist who understands this and can help you ascertain what exactly is going on with this child. One of the arguments you make is that transsexual or transgender, as it's used now, actually argues for the fact that there's male and female because you've got a male who believes she's female and wants to be female. Um, And the, the, the gender isn't fluid, uh, meaning that it can change on a mo- uh, on a dime. It means that my my brain isn't matching up to my anatomy, so that there is male female. Yeah, that, that I found that I do find that really ironic when we deal with this publicly or in the media, or you know where where people or even academics will say, okay, see, because we have trans kids, that means we don't have male and female, and that's uh, obviously as you've just said, just the opposite is true. The the person who, uh, but we have to take a science-based approach. We have, to, we have to remember that this is a clear example. This whole conversation that's happening publicly is a clear example of a kind of battle between pure sociology, 
which does not require much data or science. You know, it's it's what we call soft science. It's it's uh, it's basically opinion based on studying a few people and forming an opinion. And it has it has value absolutely. I use sociology in my work. It has value, but. Um, for dealing with something that's at the level of biology and sex, sociology is not great. Um, but it's in a it's in a war with those of us who deal, you know, more in hard science, neurobiology, neuroscience. And so those of us who are dealing in in the hard science, we're saying to the soft science folks, okay, this is the wrong place for you. I mean, you, there's a lot of places for you, but I think this is the wrong place for you because you're making these contradictory statements and don't even realize it. And the contradictory statement is is um, that trans proves gender fluid. What trans proves is male and female. Yes. Abs- absolutely. You have a, and I took a long time to get there, but you have a, a, a male to female trans. Let's just break it down. Someone who's male to female, that ha- that person has male anatomy, therefore has, you know, higher than female testosterone and all the things that come with being male. And, and when you scan that brain, you go, oh, wow, that's actually more of a female brain than the average guy. And the person who says it is, as you've indicated, says, I feel female. And that person is saying, my brain is female, but my body is male. And they're not exactly accurate, but they're going in the right direction because we can scan the brain and we can see now between 20 and 25 brain centers, and we'll keep finding more, are operating cross-sexually. They're operating like the quote-unquote opposite sex. So the male to female has proven that there is such a thing as male and female because that person knows or senses that she has more of a female brain. And the other way too, female to male, it's a female anatomy, but that person knows that she, becoming a he, he has more of a male brain. So yes, I, I think I think we've got to get this thing to be more science and science actually protects real trans kids and real trans adults. Uh, uh, when people scan these brains and see it, I think people are going to say, oh, wow, we got to protect this population. This is this is a specific population of kids and adults who are trans. And the better word is transsexual, but we don't use it anymore. We say transgender. Um, and the reason I say transsexual is the better word is because it is sex on the brain. It is their maleness and their femaleness that's at stake, uh, whereas gender is a social construct. Hmm. So... So that's why gender fluid is used from the sociology side, because gender is always a social construct. It's what you think you are. What's your social construct of masculine and feminine? Uh, But transsexual is your brain is operating in many ways opposite your body. Uh, And yes, I do think it proves male and female very well. So the overwhelming majority of us are born with XX or XY. Right. And And there are some intersex people who are XXY, XYY. Right. But very few. So, So give us again... Uh, and I'm going to move us on now to the next point. But give us again what the percentage of the population is, uh, the various, you know, let, let's go the low number and the high number of those who would be considered transsexual or transgender. Uh, the, really, the best studies I see are 0.3. So that's under 1%. Okay. But some people are arguing, if you go on Google, some people are arguing it's up to 20%. I, I, that is false. Right. Uh, they're, they're confusing the social construct of gender fluidity with uh, a, an actual trans person. Yeah. Yeah. One of the figures I saw was uh, 3.8% 
of our population falls gay, lesbian, or transgender. Now that may be a little low. Maybe oh, a little those high. are different things, though. Yep, right, right. right. Gay, but lesbian they, they, is between five and ten percent. Yeah. So, so regardless, we're talking about a population of a let's let's just be just say ten percent. Um, and and for the the transgender, it's it's lower than that. The my my point is this: that that's a very very important population. Every single human being matters, and we both believe that. The problem comes when certain voices in in society, ideology, uh, ideal, uh, what's what the word I'm looking for? Ideologues. Yeah, ideologues. Uh, People who are yeah, only operating right, out of their ideology. Right. I, ideologues. When they try to impose uh, 0.3% of the population onto all the population. And so what I see increasingly as I'm working and talking with younger parents is they're not there's a little bit of hesitation. Should they really raise their son to be a boy? Should they really raise their girl to be or their daughter to be a girl? Or do they need to, um, you know, treat them like they're gender fluid and let them make their own decision about what they're going to be? My sense is that's causing far more confusion and harm to our children than help. Yeah, yeah. Uh, let's take the example of should we, you know, some people are experimenting with not giving their kids toys that are boy toys or girl toys. Right. Uh, or giving their boys girl toys and their girls boy toys. Um, to me, I, I look at that and I, I think, yeah, I mean, okay, you should do any citizen science you want, really, um, and try it out and see what happens. Uh, but we shouldn't get to the point where we're trying to re-engineer the kids based on some social ideology, because we did that with, with androgyny. Um, and we've got a lot of systems failure. We have a, we have a lot of males, um, I think between 10 and 20 million males. And I talk about this in Saving Our Sons. I think in the US, we have between 10 and 20 million males who are, who are lost. Um, they're under-motivated. They're dropping out of school. They're underperforming in school. They're getting Ds and Fs when really they should be getting As and Bs. They're smart. Um, uh, they're becoming violent. They're depressed, right? I mean, th- these are these invisible boys and invisible men, and we don't—we're not really going to take care of that population unless we understand who they are as boys and men. And that doesn't mean that we have to teach them some old stereotype of a boy. And that's the thing: the gender fluidity movement—they want to get away from gender stereotypes, right? Mm-hmm. Well. Okay, none of us like gender stereotypes, but the stuff you and I are talking about right now is maleness, femaleness. That's not a stereotype. That's the nature part of who you are. And every brain can be scanned, and we can see on every brain maleness and femaleness. So it's no longer an abstract concept. There is maleness and femaleness, and it is a primal part of who every child is. And we have to create our social systems to take care of those kids. So for instance, those 10 to 20 million males, many of them were raised without fathers. And we know uh, clinically, we know that one of the best ways to raise children is with um, both maternal and paternal influence. Um, uh, And that includes role models, that includes uh, extended family, right? that's the be- that's the best way to raise kids. Doesn't mean it always works, but it's statistically the best way to raise kids. It turns out the best young adults. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? 
Alright, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Well, if you have a, a social movement like we had 30, 40 years ago, the androgyny movement that said, no, that doesn't matter maleness doesn't matter we don't really need these these males and we're seeing a resuscitation of that now we don't really need the males the end of men all of that you end up with i think you know 10 to 20 million males who are failing who who are crushing a culture and then that's not even dealing with young females who are so depressed and anxious and so many issues that young females face um uh that's why we have to be temperate and moderate and we have to understand that it's fine for any human being to say, I'm gender fluid because I want to be more feminine or I want to be masculine. I, I did that when I was young. I was really into developing my feminine side, became a therapist. I mean, that's all really great stuff. But if we start saying, well, there's something wrong with being boy, so we're not going to give boys boy toys, that's when we do the damage and we create systems that that don't raise our populations well, and we end up with tens of millions of people struggling. And those people, some of them are, are gay, lesbians, some of them are trans, right? That's absolutely true. That's a vulnerable population uh, that we have to help. But uh, I would say the majority of those people are not. They're hetero, they're male, they're female, and they're struggling. So I don't want to see a resuscitation of the androgyny movement. Um, except where it helps kids express that it's great to be both masculine and feminine. That's great, but not to tinker with the, the human brain, no. So one of the takeaways is that the overwhelming population is not transsexual, correct? Right, the overwhelming population is not actually gender fluid. Right now, yeah. right now actually only about 20%, and it's mainly younger folk, around 20% are are filling out surveys and saying, I'm gender fluid, right? It's still a, a small number. Right, but when they say they're gender fluid, they may not even understand what they're saying from a science-based perspective. They may just be saying, I, I, I choose to be this, but they may not even really be that if, if, the, you know, if it's 0.3% of the population. Well, that, that, again, okay, we should be clear. So trans is trans. That's going to be 0.3%, maybe... To three percent, something depending. We don't really right. know, but it's very that small, important but small. Then there's gay lesbian, right? Because everything right. gets put together. Okay, that's yes, five okay. to ten percent. And then there's gender fluidity, which is used by everyone. But a lot of the young people who are saying they're gender fluid are just saying, "I don't want to deal with male female. I want to be everything." But right. they're not trans and they're not gay. Right. Uh, but yes, so so I, I'm I'm thinking about these parents now who are trying to raise their kids and they're trying to be good parents, and there is a certain amount of social pressure right now to to see gender, to see their son or their daughter not as a son or daughter, but just as a person who will choose their own gender when they get older, and um, you know. The, for some parents, they're just they're going to say, well, that's just crazy. My son's a son. My daughter's a daughter. But for some parents, uh, you know, they, they really want to do it right. So what advice do you give them uh, where there's this ideological pressure 
to not shape your son or daughter into a boy or a girl, but to just let them make that decision when they get older. Uh, how do how do we make our way through that kind of world? Well, the way to do it is to nurture the nature. You know, what is the nature of my child? And and sex is at the level of nature. So sex on the brain is at the level of nature. So what I what I always say is, raise your children as boys and girls, and then let them later, if they want to choose gender fluidity later, which is I want to be more female or I want to be more male. Okay, great. Let them do that later. Uh, but nurture the nature now, because what's essential is that we nurture boys into good men and we nurture girls into good women. That's essential. That's primal. We have to nurture boys to be, you know, motivated, um, to be to be strong, to be uh, to have good social emotionals. All of this we have to do because they're boys, as boys. And that's how we read their signals and we help them to grow. That's how we understand that, okay, this is a boy. Maybe he's not going to, at 12, cry as much as his 12-year-old twin sister. Um, Maybe he's going to be more physical. You know, these are all things that that we understand because we understand boys, similarly girls. Okay, maybe we're going to have to teach physics a little differently to girls in order to maximize the female brain in the area of physics. We understand that and we alter our STEM training because we understand the female brain. This is a girl. Uh, And of course, there's thousands of examples of this. So we want to raise them for their sex and then they can make gender fluid choices later. That's the safest way to raise kids. You have a great book called Nurture the Nature. Talk a little bit about that and how it can help parents. Yeah, that's the concept of understanding the nature of the child and and um, looking into the mind, the soul, the heart of this child and understanding his or her personality, uh, uh, where he or she is on the on the sex and gender spectrum, right? Because some guys are more boy boy, some are more sensitive. Understanding all of that, um, same with girls. It's it's uh, it's got a whole bunch of tools in it to help parents understand their that that child, their child, his her core personality, and then set up the nurturing system, set up the family to nurture the nature of this child. And there is a big section in it on social transparenting and this gender fluidity movement um, in some ways obviously is essential for vulnerable populations, but in other ways it's a social trend and we have to really beware, be aware of social trends. And when when a parent feels that the trend is pulling uh, her as a mom, him as a dad, away from nurturing the nature of this boy or this girl, then that's when you have to throw out the social trend. And you got to get back to nurturing the nature of this child. Boy, that is, that is such good stuff. And uh, to, to you know look at your son, to look at your daughter, and to give thanks for who they are, and to raise them to the best of your ability to be a good man, a, a good woman. And if something happens along the way where they they begin to see that their brain doesn't match their anatomy, you're right. There are resources to help them manage that. But but again, the overwhelming majority of parents are not going, that's not going to be their issue, uh, having a trans child. Right. That's correct. The, there's gonna, the issue is going to be, how do I raise my son to be a good man? How do I raise my daughter to be a, a good woman? And And then also then to instill in our, our children as they're growing, part of being a good man, part of being a good woman, is to recognize that there are some people whose bodies and and brains don't match and to be compassionate, uh, to be loving, and to be accepting. Uh, And and just because we're not transgender or transsexual doesn't mean that we shouldn't be compassionate toward that population. Oh, yeah, we should absolutely be compassionate. And and we should remember that there's nothing wrong with 
with saying to a boy or a girl, remember, you don't have to be a narrow definition of boy or a narrow definition of girl. You can be an expanded definition of boy and an expanded, you know, girl. Your identity can expand beyond what maybe some one person is telling you a boy has to be or a girl has to be. I mean, I think that's the strength of the gender fluidity movement. The strength of it, the thing we should take away, um, is not the reorienting of our whole culture as if there's no fe male, female. It's to, that, that every child has a right as a boy and as a girl to have an expanded view of what a boy and a girl is. That That's good stuff. So they can expand what they mean by masculine. Um, expand what they mean by female when they raise up their kids, when they teach their kids. Well, this is a topic I'm sure we're going to come back to again and again because it's such an important one on so many levels. It has everything to do with how we raise our children, uh, how we react and inter, uh, interact with uh, what Michael calls vulnerable populations. And uh, so I hope that you will subscribe to our podcast. And keep up to date with us. Every Monday we will uh, upload a new one for you. And uh, you can learn more about us at www.wonderofparenting.com. www.wonderofparenting.com. You can subscribe there. You can send us questions. Uh, our Instagram account is Wonder of Parenting Podcast. And Michael, you want to take just a moment to talk about another way that people can learn from you through the, uh, the Gurian membership. Yeah, we have a Gurian membership system, a Gurian community, and it's on patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com, patreon.com. And if you go to that website and, and search my name, Michael Gurian, uh, then you find the link to that and you can join there. And we provide, um, I, I personally provide video clips, uh, tools, um, blogs. Uh, we also have a Patreon-only podcast episode and... Um, uh, and you can ask me questions through there. So that's a that's another great way. And it really costs very little. It's patreon.com. Parents, thank you again for joining us for The Wonder of Parenting. Again, www.wonderofparenting.com. And we look forward to chatting with you again next week. Our family has grown. Welcome to the world, Hannah baby. Introducing a new collection, Hannah Soft, made with Tencel. It's so breathable with stretchy comfort for all of baby's first moments. And it's cool and gentle on their skin all year round. Entrusted Hannah quality for your most precious gift. Hannah soft, made to last. Shop now at hannahanderson.com.